Cinephiles Digest. My name is Matt. And this is Travis. And it's just the two of us on this one. Our buddy Tom is uh, out of town. Uh, do you recall where he is? Do we even ask him where he's going? I don't remember. I think it's for work. Maybe Texas. Oh yeah, maybe he's going to Austin again. Yeah. Anyway, Tom's not here. We had a guest plan that fell through. So just going to be the two of us. Just two buds hanging out in an empty room. <laughs> uh, I moved to West Seattle uh, last weekend, so we're uh, posted up in one of the spare bedrooms here. We got a sweet dining room table, got some beers. We are good to go. <laughs> um, but yeah, before uh, uh, we get into introductions, let's talk about uh, what we're going to be discussing on this episode. This is episode number 33. And we have two featured reviews. We are going to be talking about Wes Anderson's latest film, Isle of Dogs, as well as the new Steven Spielberg film, Ready Player One. And we'll also get into some of the things we've been watching, but it's going to be a pretty uh, short and sweet episode, I think. We're just going to hit on uh, hit on the films, do a little stuff wrapping up at the end. So shouldn't be here too long. But uh, before we dive into those reviews, uh, I'll, I'll kick things off. As I said at the top of the show, hanging out at my new house. Travis, this is the first <laughs> time you've seen it. Yeah. It's a, it's an older house. I think it was built in the 70s. Got a couple of roommates, but um, I got the whole basement area to myself. Giant room. Pretty sweet. Plenty of space. Definitely not short of space <laughs> around here. So that's that's been good. Still getting used to it. Commute's longer. Uh, it's not as convenient of an area here in Seattle, but... You know, making the best of it. Still getting used to the new digs. Um, I did just upgrade televisions. Bought a 4K HDR uh, Samsung 55-incher. Oh, yeah. And uh, I haven't given you a demo yet, but uh, you did see it. Yes. It's pretty nice. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I think I'll be upgrading when I move here in about a month as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be dope. I'm still thinking maybe I'll invest in some kind of sound bar. The sound on that TV is pretty good. Um but we'll yeah. see what happens. Also bought an Xbox One X, Just 4K ready. Balling out over here. Oh yeah, bonus <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, so that's been pretty cool. 4K gaming, it's a game changer for sure. I've <laughs> uh, been playing Far Cry, Cuphead. I've been watching some of my Blu-rays. Got to get back sweet. to Fortnite, man. Yeah, I haven't played it in a while. <laughs> I've been really busy going to shows as usual. Oh yeah, saw Soccer Mommy. That was a good time. So it's not one in a new place. Uh, but uh, Travis, what about you? What's new, man? Uh, let's see. I uh, went to a house party last night. It's pretty fun. I think I asked you, but like, where was it? What part of town was um, it? I forget exactly where, but some North Seattle, some area. Like kind of near where Tom lives, or uh, I don't really recall. <laughs> <laughs> one of those nights, huh? Yes. Oh, yeah. Plenty of drinks, but um, just, yeah, one of your classic house parties, about 30 or 40 people, keg, loud music, <laughs> drinking games. <laughs> Trying uh, to experience the college years you didn't have? Pretty much, yeah. Did you do a keg stand? No. <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunity, man. How, many, how often do you find yourself at a keg party at our age? Not very often. Um, blew it. I did play beer pong, though, and we did win. That was exciting. Mm. Yeah. Definitely sounds like freshman year of college. <laughs> <laughs> it was Chelsea and I, and I hit the rebuttal shot to stay in it, Ooh. and then I hit the game winner. It was pretty awesome. One of the best I, feelings in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, 
I played some random game. I don't even know if I will care to explain it, or I don't even really know the name of it, but it's an inferior game to Survivor. Survivor is the best so. drinking game there is. I just... Hard to argue. <laughs> <laughs> that and beer pong. <laughs> yeah, that's good shit. Uh, cool. Anything else you want to talk about before we uh, get into our first review here? Nah, let's talk some movies. Let's keep it rolling right along. First thing we're going to be talking about, Isle of Dogs. We got a clip. Let's listen in. Okay, I got a question. What's your favorite food? A double portion of doggy chop from the can mixed into a bowl of broken puppy snaps with a vitamin crushed up into it. King's the spokes dog for that. He's the doggy chop dog. Yeah. Used to be. Was that your daily meal? Not always. My master was a school teacher. We weren't rich, you know. You? A center-cut Kobe ribeye seared on the bone with salt and pepper. Wow. It was my birthday supper every year. Mine's hot sausage yakitori style. The snack vendor always saved me one on game days. Hmm. Duke? Uh, green tea ice cream. My master had a sweet tooth I probably inherited from her. Okay, Isle of Dogs, as I said before, is the latest film from Wes Anderson, who you may know from The Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. He's a paragon of hipster film culture. <laughs> uh, I think we're all fans on the show. I think Tom got a chance to see it, but he's not here today, so maybe he'll chime in next time. But uh, for now, it's just me and Travis. Travis, you want to go first? Or you want me to talk about? Uh, actually, I did not read the plot synopsis. <laughs> Let's do that real quick. Short and sweet. Set in Japan, Isle of Dogs follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. Film stars. Well, the features the voices of Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Koyu Rankin, Bob Balaban, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Greta Gerwig, Scarlett Johansson packed lots and lots of very talented very famous actors and actresses in this one uh so i love dogs i'm a big wes anderson fan uh i'll just go first i guess sure yeah i'm curious to hear what you have to say i uh i enjoyed it this is wes anderson's ninth feature film my least favorite is The Life Aquatic. Wait, he's only made nine movies? Huh? I feel like he's made way more. Well, let's just run through it. We got Ball Rocket, Rushmore, um, Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic, Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs. Matt did that all by memory, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was nine, listeners. right? Yeah killed it wow <laughs> so this is his ninth film my least favorite and the only one i don't Whoa. care for least favorite well no the the only one of his nine films that i don't care for is the life of oh, okay this is probably my second least favorite it's like now bottle rocket and isle of dogs are like hovering at the bottom is this a matter of wes anderson just being a great director that's made so many better movies or is it isle of dogs is not that great of a movie it is a good movie, but I think it's more <clears throat> the first part. So his six other films are five out of fives for me. Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, Darjeeling Limited. I love all of those movies. So pretty high standards when it comes to Wes Anderson. <laughs> very high standards. And I was very excited for this movie because I do love Fantastic Mr. Fox quite a bit. So this is a return to his stop, ma stop motion animation uh, experiments and uh, 
gotta say i was pretty underwhelmed by it um it is very beautiful to look at uh it's a feat of stop motion animation probably one of the best it's definitely (laughs) up there just from a sheer like craft perspective yeah there's so much attention to detail and on a rewatch this one may go up just because there's so much happening in the background these figures and the environments are so detailed that i just wanted to kind of sit with them longer so on that level i think it's a fantastic film it's one of the best that he's done from a visual standpoint which is you know saying a lot it's very talented i would say he's primarily a visual filmmaker he is very uh articulate especially when it comes to his mise-en-scene and the framing of the picture the colors uh and even just like the design feels very unique to him like there are some imitators but he has a very unique distinct style that was the highlight of the movie for me it's uh the least consistent funny film of his i would say there were only a couple times that i laughed out loud a lot of the jokes i felt like were just not as clever as i'm used to or the ones that were clever were really not that funny i was just like oh huh you know that was kind of that was kind of clever yeah i've caught myself chuckling a few times but i didn't find this necessarily that funny it was entertaining and like the, the characters were fun but there was no like real like funny super funny moment like we we've talked about best wes anderson moments on the show and mm-hmm. the comedic ones and i don't think there's really anything that stands out in this movie and even the theater wasn't really responding it was almost like those forced chuckles you know like just kind of you can just kind of throw in the movie a bone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hey dog reference yeah. hey. <laughs> ah, good one. um so i think when i initially was messaging you about like my impressions of it I think I said it, was it wasn't very good. PS4. And then, yeah, we were talking about it. We were playing some Fortnite. And uh, I think you made the joke, Isle of Dog Garbage. Yes. <laughs> Dude, this is our movie. <laughs> this is the one. <laughs> the Dog Garbage movie. I, and it's funny because it kind of is like a literal like Dog Garbage yeah. movie. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll get into kind of some of the negative aspects, some of the things that didn't really sit super well with me or that I thought could use some work. But uh, why don't you go ahead and give your uh, general impressions and then sure. we'll get into the nitty-gritty so, of it. I come at this movie almost at like the complete opposite angle you're coming from. I do like some of his movies, but I wouldn't say I'm like a Wes Anderson super fan or anything like that. I haven't even seen all of his movies. That was going to be my question. What have you not seen? Uh, well, I don't have them memorized like you. <laughs> uh, just read them off, dog. You don't remember them off the top of your head? So I've seen all of them except... Darjeeling Limited. I think that might be it, actually. But I could definitely use a rewatch of at least like half of them, if not all of them. A couple of I've only seen all of them, or the ones I have seen, I've only seen them once. Really? Yeah. Okay. There are a couple I've only seen once. Darjeeling <laughs> Limited. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Probably the most underrated Wes Anderson. Yeah. Film, so. I've seen a couple articles about that one being like the most overlooked of his, and mm-hmm. people argue it's his best movie. Some people so, do. I wouldn't yeah. make that argument, but... I got the Criterion. I'll let you borrow it so you can round out your... uh, Yeah, I'd be down to watch that. Um, But anyway, continue. Yeah, so I didn't have high expectations for this. I wasn't overly excited to see it. I was definitely excited to check it out. And I was 
interested in seeing him do another animated movie because I liked Fantastic Mr. Fox quite a bit. Um, so expectations were low, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm probably going to rate it pretty high. But it was just it was just a fun and entertaining movie. And like you said, like the visuals of this movie are incredible. Like just the attention to detail, like you said, and just like how creative they get with some of the animation, like with the the smoke, just or not the smoke, but like the when they're wrestling around and Oh, just like the cloud the, of the like cotton dirt or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just see like things toss the hair and you see paws yeah. coming out of it. Yeah. That was very um that was a very cartoonish touch, you know? It felt like something out of, like, Looney Tunes yeah. or something, you know what I mean? Or, like, even, like, one of the dogs had, like, a little, like, flea or fly, like, you know, like, yeah, crawling yeah, around crawling on around it. on the fur, yeah. yeah. That was really cool. <clears throat> and then, yeah, just, like, the detail of, like, the garbage and just, like you said, there's, like, so much to look at. And so I was just, like, blown away and super engaged on that level. But the story itself was, it was good, but, I mean, I think that um it just where's i going with this? <laughs> um yeah i mean it, it was it's a pretty like simple story it's just this kid is gonna go save his dog it's almost like a escape type movie in a sense like or the planet of the apes you know <clears throat> it's like a band of dogs trying to rescue one of their own or whatever mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i did like the aspects of just like the the story about Brian Cranston's character and how he was like the stray dog and he didn't really empathize like the other dogs did. And there, I mean, he has like the, a big arc in the movie. It's, it's almost turns into his story Mm -hmm. towards the end. And just like the little moments of him and, um, I don't remember the kid's name in the movie. Atari. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) But like the, the slide moment was good. And then like, um, them playing fetch. That was also a good moment. Um, and yeah, like the, I like the politics of the movie as well. Um, it's kind of, um, relevant to today with the whole, like, we're going to ship off. (laughs) Deportation. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, there's also the obvious parallels to like, world war ii you know japanese internment camps except here you have a film set in japan and the prisoners are are dogs yeah um let's start um let's start with chief who is brian cranston's character i thought his character arc felt a little rushed they spend all this time especially early on in the film building him up to be this like street dog who does not like affection, does not like humans, and that he's kind of reluctantly uh, forced into helping this kid find, you know, his lost dog that he's looking for. Because there's, what, five dogs, I think, that help Atari? I think so. Because there's, there's Brian Cranston, there's... Edward Norton. Edward Norton, Bob Balaban, Bill Murray, and then who's the fifth one? Is it Goldblum? Which one was he? Was Goldblum one of the voices in this movie? Yeah. Shit. All right, I got the cast list here. Let's see. I didn't notice him the whole movie, but I knew he was in it. Yes, he was Duke. Oh, okay. That was another thing. Some of the voices, especially with the main dogs, weren't super distinct. I guess really it was Jeff Goldblum. He was Duke. 
I, I guess I didn't really pinpoint that that was him. And then Bob Balaban was king. Edward Norton has a pretty distinct voice. Yeah. He's also the most distinct of the main dogs, except for Chief. Because there's this running gag about, you guys hear about this rumor? Have you heard about this rumor? And then there's, oh, no. And then, you know, there's a payoff at the end involving that that gag. But, yeah. Um, with Chief's character in particular, I just thought, you mentioned the fetch moment. That's kind of where the first time we see him kind of play along with his interactions with the human because he says, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fetch. I'm not that kind of dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I'm going to fetch it just to shut you up or whatever he said. And then he, there's that hug moment. And I don't know. I feel like uh, some of the emotional moments were, they didn't hit with me. And I'm like, I'm that guy on this podcast. I'm the emotional yeah. guy. I love animals. But it just, it didn't ring true for me because it just felt a little manipulative and a little easy. I feel like in the theater that I was in, especially, there were a lot, anytime there was like a cute dog moment or there would be some show of affection between the characters, multiple people would be like, Oh, oh, you know, like, yeah. and that was kind of driving me crazy. And I don't think that those were actually like earned moments. It's just like, oh, a cute little puppy, you know. It's just like, right. I did. It didn't earn those moments for me. And there was one towards the end that I thought was decent, but I just it kind of lacks the heart that I think some of Wes Anderson's films, other films have. I don't yeah. know if you felt I that don't way think too. the ending was that impactful on an emotional level. It was a little anticlimactic too, because they like. You know, there's this journey, point A to point B, they get to the end, there's this kind of, you know, climax where they're basically in, in this, like, huge uh, uh, political assembly where they're talking about what they're going to do, and they, like, storm the, the stage, the dogs show up and shit, but... Yeah. And after that, it was just kind of, I don't know, there's some wrapping up, but it just... Yeah, I wasn't, I kind of, like, checked out a little bit when the movie was wrapping up, just because that's when I was least interested in it, mm-hmm. but... I love the journey along the way. And like I said, I think just like the, the visuals of the movie is what kept me interested in it. Just like some of the, like the, the sushi scene was awesome. Like the way it looks and like mm-hmm. the sumo wrestling, it almost looks seamless where, you know how like, um, it can look a little like jerky at times. Yeah. Yeah. But like when those sumo wrestlers were wrestling, it was like, I didn't notice any jerkiness. And I don't know. I just thought that was super cool. And I know he has like a huge, probably team that helps assemble a movie like this. Um, but it's, I think it's just impressive that he experiments in this medium and just like does it incredibly well. And maybe I shouldn't give him all the praise or most of the praise, but like, but it is his vision. Yeah. But I mean, most directors don't, you know, they do animated movies or they do live action. They rarely ever do both. And so I think I'm maybe giving him a little bit more credit just for that reason alone. Yeah, and I mean, this is the second time that he's kind of used this medium, and uh, both times, you know, very impressive. Comparing this film to Fantastic Mr. Fox directly, you you have so you've seen that one, right? Yeah, I think part of what worked less for me having the main characters be animals in this film is that in this movie. They're dogs. They mostly act like dogs, but when they're talking, you know, they're talking like humans. And there will be the occasional moment where they'll do something that's very specifically 
animalistic you know yeah. they'll uh growl there's that standoff towards the beginning where there's these other dogs and they decide they're gonna fight over this like garbage basically and they growl and they get in this big fight um but most of the time they're just acting like dogs and then when they would act human uh, sometimes it was for a punchline sometimes it was just you know to say something relevant or emotional what i like about fantastic mr fox is that they are very uh humanistic a lot of the animals walk around on two legs even though foxes don't walk around on two legs they wear clothes yeah. <laughs> but then you have moments where anytime they eat they go <laughs> you know they like 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 just animals they just right. tear it apart you know and then that dichotomy those two extremes i think is really funny yeah the humor works for me way more in fantastic mr fox i also just think it was a more clever more clever film so i think that's another reason why this one didn't resonate with me as much because the direct comparison there is another stop motion film with animals right so that didn't work for me as much in this one it just wasn't as interesting to me now that i do think about i'm trying to think back to funny moments i think some of the best stuff was the whole like dog who can see the future the pug you know? oh the oracle <laughs> that was that was awesome. by far that was one of the only parts that made me laugh out loud that was still to swinton oh yeah yeah <laughs> but just the dog's reactions to yeah her. those big eyes well it's especially funny because they you know they make these references to how she can see the future and then i think one of the other dogs is like she just knows how to watch tv yeah right <laughs> <laughs> so that was funny um it has a lot of charm I will say I was a little bored through like the middle portion of the movie. The uh, environments aren't as interesting as I thought they would be. There's some really cool standout moments, but a lot of just like wandering around the island. It's a lot of similar, you know, have kind of the white, whitish gray sky, you have piles of garbage everywhere. There were just stretches where I just feel like it wasn't as visually interesting. Yeah. Um, but then there were also moments that were just like breathtaking. So I, there, there's both, both aspects are here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I mean, other it just, <clears throat> it's a really solid movie. I enjoyed it. It just nothing. There's not a single aspect outside of the visuals that really excelled for me. I, it didn't make me cry. It didn't make me laugh that much. I was entertained, but I mean, we're going to be talking about Ready Player One next. Not to play my cards too early, but that movie entertained me way more than this movie did. Yeah. Whether it's a better movie or not, we'll get into. But you know where I'm coming from. There just oh, yeah. wasn't something that took it to that next level for me. Yeah. I think if it wasn't as visually pleasing, I would have definitely just thought it was pretty average. But that's what takes it to the next level. Um, but yeah, at, after talking with you about it now and like thinking back on it, it it was a little slow at times, and I don't know if I liked it as much as I thought I did initially. Mm-hmm. And I, but I am curious if if you do think this is just a matter of like Wes Anderson, like if this wasn't directed by Wes Anderson, do you think you would be more into it? Um, maybe a little bit, but I do think... Like, do you, do you think your expectations played a hand in this? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I was really excited for this movie because I <clears throat> adore most of his films. And yeah. There's only one that I'm really not that into, so I guess... Uh, How many maybe times I'm have a, you seen Life Aquatic? 
I've only seen it once. Oh, okay. I do want to revisit it. Yeah. I think I may have seen bits and pieces of it before I saw the whole thing, but the whole thing, it's really long. It's boring. Yeah. It's, he, uh, Anderson gets criticized for being, uh, style over substance. I don't agree with that reading of his work, except in the case of The Life Aquatic. But I am curious to revisit that one for yeah. sure. And, um, the only ones I've only seen Grand Budapest Hotel one time, but I that movie knocked my socks off. It was hilarious. It was See, I need really to watch cool. that one again because I was kind of underwhelmed by really? it. Yeah. Okay. Um. I did. Yeah. I, I want to revisit that one, but yeah. Uh, yeah. To your point, maybe if it was someone else, but at the same time, no one else could make this movie. Right. His style is so <laughs> distinct. If someone did this, we'd be like, who's this fucking Wes Anderson ripoff? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> People have tried, but no one has even come close. Like, I feel like he is one of, if not the most unique currently working, like, American filmmaker. Like, yeah. He, you see a movie of his and you instantly know you're looking at a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Uh, and this, this movie is no exception. It feels very much like a Wes Anderson film. It just didn't hit some of the same notes that his other films did for me. Did you get a chance to talk to Paris and her boyfriend about this? Uh, as far as how much they enjoyed it? He was kind of on the same page as me. We were kind of saving... Uh, the discussion because um, they were going to be on the podcast. It, it didn't work out, but um, he was kind of on the same page as me. He's a huge Wes Anderson fan. That's yeah. part of the reason why we were going to have him on the show with Paris. Um, Paris loved it. She was surprised that both me and him were kind of underwhelmed by it. So yeah. that was kind of about as far as we got. We didn't really get uh, into specifics too much, but um, by and large, most of the people I know Love it. loved it. Yeah. So it seems like it's being very well received by both, you know, non-Wes Anderson fans and Wes Anderson fans alike. So, um, yeah. Anything else you want to touch on before we move on to the next one? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Okay. What's your star rating on this one? Uh, I think I'm going to go with a four. Three and a half for me. Not too far off. Nope. I was going to go four and a half, but I don't think I can make a case for it. So, <laughs> would you, Any of the films you have seen, would you give any of them a five? Rushmore, for sure. Rushmore is so good. Um Probably Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I again, I would probably like to go just do like a marathon of Wes Anderson because it's probably due, but I have watched Bottle Rocket twice and both times I'm so underwhelmed by it. I don't know why I'm, I'm just, it's I'm not into it. <laughs> I've only seen it once and I did, I did like it quite a bit, but it was just, yeah. Yeah. That's due for a rewatch. I don't find it that funny and it's so low budget and like it's his first movie, so he hasn't really like x you know like figured out his craft yet right and it's and, not as like uh um, immediately stylized as something like rushmore which you from the right. get-go is very it's very stylized it's very unique and interesting yeah and that's the stuff i respond to more i think and then just some of the like more like outlandish funny moments in his movies um because i usually always respond to like technical or visual stuff more than like plot just because I don't know. Plot is just, it's, I mean, there's, plot is like always essentially the same thing. I mean, we, we just tell the same stories over and over. So it's like, I'm looking for something different beyond just the, the main plot line. Mm -hmm. but. Totally. Okay, cool. Well, uh, next time, uh, next time we record, we'll have Tom chime in with his thoughts. Cause I think, um, I don't know. I feel like he would probably like this one. 
as much or more than we did. So, yeah, I'm sure he's going to feel similar to us. We'll get his thoughts next time, but that is going to do it for Isle of Dogs. Let's move on to our next review. We're going to be talking about Ready Player One. We have another clip. Let's listen in. Three keys. Three hidden challenges test for worthy trades. Revealing three hidden keys to three magic gates. And those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end. And we're back. Ready Player One. Latest film from Steven Spielberg, who just had a film come out in December. Directed The Post. So, doing work. Let's read this plot synopsis real quick. When the creator of a virtual reality world called The Oasis dies, he releases a video in which he challenges all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune. Uh, Written by Zach Penn and Ernest Cline, based on the book by Ernest Cline. Uh, The film stars Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cooke, Ben Mendelsohn, TJ Miller... Um, as we said, based on the very popular novel, Ready Player One, which is uh, primarily 80s references, pop culture references. Uh, This movie uh, has plenty of 80s references. Um, I think that may be part of the reason why Steven Spielberg came on to do the film, because there are, uh, you know, he achieved peak relevance with his work in the 80s with things like E.T., Indiana Jones, Close Encounters, all that kind of stuff. Um, so let's dive in. You you can go first this time. I went first and I don't know. All right. So it was a very entertaining movie. And being a gamer all of my life, this was definitely speaking my language. <laughs> uh, if this is the future of video games, I'm jealous. <laughs> it's pretty dope. Um, just the, the main things... I liked were the first sequence, the the race was incredible. That was really cool. The introduction to the Oasis was awesome. Like the first time you get to see it and go inside the Oasis, just being exposed to that world, I was just like, holy shit. Is that when they're like touching on the different worlds? There's like Planet Doom. And oh, there's like, is that Minecraft? what you're talking about? Like Minecraft. Just world, no, like, like the first time he puts on the glasses or the goggles or whatever and like... Just first experiencing the Oasis. Isn't that the car thing? Isn't that what that was? The introductory car sequence? Yeah, but... The same thing? Or? No, not necessarily. Because like, he's like kind of explained what the Oasis is as he puts on the glasses. And then like you're experiencing the world. And then I think shortly after that, it gets into the race. Oh, okay. I see. Um, I don't want to spoil it. But the second key sequence was awesome and came out of nowhere. And I wasn't expecting it in... Yeah, it was just super cool to see that reappropriated into this movie. That was by far the best part of the yeah. movie. That was <laughs> so cool. And that was not in the book. I did read. Yeah. So, again, not getting the spoilers, but there's an um, uh, explicit reference, really an entire scene. It's probably like a 10-minute scene. Yeah. Uh, that um, 
we'll say um, it's very personal for Steven Spielberg um, without being more specific than that. Um, yeah. It's definitely a standout scene. Visually, it was really cool. Uh, the best use of like pop culture reference and appropriation. Really clever. Yeah. I, I Yeah. That was in standout for sure. <clears throat> um, the third key sequence was cool, but I think it was probably the least cool of the three like key sequences and it's kind of a bummer that like the grand finale was like the least cool of the three you know what i'm talking about yeah i i enjoyed it quite a bit it was cool but i just think that the first and second sequences were better or just like stood out more to me we should set the stage a little bit so key sequences the plot of the movie revolves around um they're trying to find this easter egg of the creator uh, put into the game so in order to do that there's like little challenges you have to complete so if you complete the hidden challenge you get a key and then you get a clue for the next challenge so they're trying to all of the people in the oasis individuals and you know mega corporations are competing yeah to find these keys so that's what key these key sequences are this has a to. huge really wonka vibe for sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I liked all the video game stuff, like the little small references. I loved all the pop culture stuff. Um, there's like little nods to things throughout the movie. Um, and the stuff that I wasn't too hot on was the story itself. Like the plot is a very generic, like save the day type story. Mm -hmm. And then there's not a ton of character development, but I almost feel like he had to sacrifice that to get as much into the movie that he did. Because... I mean, there's a lot to explore in this world, and this movie could easily have been like four hours long, and I probably would have been okay with that. But no, you <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just feel like the the main character is not that interesting. But at the same time, I don't feel like he necessarily needs to be because it, sure it's it's his story, but it's also like everyone's story. Like mm -hmm. he's just kind of like the surrogate or whatever you want to call it um so yeah that's i feel like it kind of so when it comes to the main protagonist i feel like it kind of suffers from the same thing that valerian and the city of a thousand planets did where you have kind of two main characters who are you know love interests yeah um and the guy is just kind of uninspired and boring like ty sheridan i've liked him well let me phrase it this way he picks really good projects. He was in the Tree of Life. He was in Mud. Well, those are both set like where he's from, mm -hmm. and so and he has an accent, and you can even hear it like bleeding through a little mm -hmm. bit in this movie. But I just think he just naturally fits in those movies better for obvious reasons. Totally, and but he's just uh, I don't know. He's not the most charismatic kid. He's getting older. I didn't find him to be very interesting, but... Um, I did hear a story about Ty Sheridan where um, when he got cast for Tree of Life, he didn't even know who Brad Pitt was. Did he really? Like, that's how, like, off the grid him, him and his family were. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> um, but to continue the parallel between this and Valerian, uh, what's, her, what's her fucking name? Cara Delevingne. 
She was one of the standouts in that movie. Similarly, I thought Olivia Cook was fantastic in this movie. Yeah, she's uh, she awesome. plays Artemis is the name of her character, right? No, that's that's her avatar. So this movie plays with the idea of you interact with people in the Oasis, but you don't share your real world identity. So they only know each other by their avatar and their name. Um, she was great. She was fantastic in Thoroughbreds. She was fantastic in Mural and Dying Girl. She was fantastic in this. She's quickly becoming like probably my favorite like young young rising starlet. Yeah. Um I think we'll see her a lot in the next few years too. <laughs> I think so. I think so. But yeah, uh, there wasn't a ton of character development. I don't really think you needed it. Like I didn't feel like that was lacking except they do spend a fair amount of time developing the relationship between the two main characters. And I don't know, it just uh, it didn't really work for me, especially at the beginning. Once they're like, you know, together or whatever, and the stakes are a bit higher, I thought it was interesting. But he like, yeah. says he loves her like way too early, and he like almost compromises his like safety to you know uh, divest information to her. You know, so yeah. some of that stuff I thought was kind of clunky. Yeah, no, I think the relationship was at least believable, and they had some chemistry, but. Just everything happened way too quickly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, I think it's just, just the nature of the situation. There's so much to fit into this movie and it already, you know, being two hours and 20 minutes, you have to cut some stuff out. Yeah, so totally. Um, let's talk about the pop culture references. Well, do we want to do any like spoiler session stuff with this? I mean, if we want to talk about the second sequence in detail, then Yes. But there is like some little moments, like I'll just say there's a Terminator 2 reference that I mm-hmm. thought was cool. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I do actually want to talk because this this whole movie is pop culture references. Yeah. And it was kind of fun getting to see them and as they came, as they rolled along. So Yeah. But, and if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't really necessarily want to know them beforehand. So. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do like a small, because there are a couple of things I want to talk about. But um, generally speaking, when it comes to the pop culture references, <clears throat> I feel like the visual references almost all worked for me just stuff in the background the the avatars that the characters have the pop culture references that didn't work for me were the ones that were like written into the script into the dialogue for example i'm going to give one of them away but uh the two main characters are talking about um what's the guy's name mark rylance's care like the main guy what, what the f- Oh, Halliday. They're talking about Halliday, and Artemis asks, um, what's the main kid's name? Ninjago or Nin... I forget. What's his avatar's <laughs> name? Shit. Um, hang on, I got I got the cast list pulled up here. Parzival. Oh, yeah. Parzival. So Artemis is talking to Parzival, and they're she's um, drilling him on, like, Halliday's, like, background, and they ask, like, what was his favorite video game? He's like, Goldeneye, favorite mode, slappers only, blah, blah, blah. You know, just, like, super yeah. specific, really forced references. Like, one... Yeah, anyone who played Goldeneye, we played Slappers only. But come, like, that's literally just a super nerdy reference for like, oh, who are you? Remember when we were kids and we played Goldeneye? Right. No <laughs> one's favorite mode is Slappers only. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> if you yeah. don't know what we're talking about, if you never played Goldeneye, there were these like rifles that you could use, like slap people. So it was literally just like you beat each other up with. It's fucking stupid. No, who would have that much fun? Yeah. Anyway, 
And there were a so few was of it, those. So he said his favorite character to play, though, was Ajab. Was mm-hmm. it because Ajab could still use his hat in slappers only mode? He couldn't use his hat. Oh, well, then it's, why? He's shorter. Oh, right. So the, your perspective's a little lower, and it's harder to hit because you have to kind yeah. of hold it down. But again, that's another, like... Some of yeah, some of the references that were written directly into the script were kind of annoying. Felt yeah, a little forced. I can agree with that. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, who cares about this guy's obsession with this thing? Or <laughs> yeah, and we get it. You know, you know, the point is that Halliday, like his whole thing was he couldn't relate with uh, his peers or with he never really made friends. He's kind of an awkward guy. So pop culture was his life. So yeah, I get it. It's just the way it was worked into the script. Was a little cringy a couple times. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll get into more specifics later because there is some really cool and also some kind of genuinely funny moments. Use of pop culture references that I thought were were, were neat. Um, let's talk about um, Steven Spielberg. It's been a while since uh, I don't know about you, but it's been a while since one of his films is really kind of hit it home for me. I feel like it helps that this movie is, uh, and the source material I think has a lot of reverence for a specific time in history that where Spielberg was like king, you know, Mm -hmm. the Amblin entertainments. His earlier work had a lot of heart. And I feel like this movie is the closest that we've gotten to some of that output from earlier in his career you know it's yeah. been a lot of biopics a lot of you know, oh yeah he's done a lot Lincoln's of historical dramas of spies and stuff and this is closer to kind of his earlier work which had a little bit more heart but he's also uh, a director who his goal is to entertain and i think both visually and just like the way this movie is constructed it's entertaining as fuck like i was you know, we were talking earlier about Isle of Dogs and how I was kind of bored. I was never bored here. It's very, it's the pace is very fast. Right. It's very flashy. It's very colorful. The seed, it's almost entirely CG. You have some real world scenes, but even in those scenes, a lot of it is CG. So, yeah. Um, how did you feel the CG held up? I mean, it's clearly you're looking at, you know, computer images, but well, most thought, of it looked pretty I good. I thought it was good. Yeah. I mean, especially. Like, the main sequences, I thought, were pretty awesome. Um, I thought some of the character designs were maybe a, a little poor, like the the main avatars, but I think that was... I didn't like Parsifal very much. I thought his avatar was kind of lame. Yeah, it just... It, it looks kind of boring, and it, it, as, like, a, a video game character, or if I'm just, like, looking at it, like, graphics-wise, the graphics don't look that great. Yeah. But, like, everything else in the movie looks incredible. Like, the DeLorean, like... And it, it just, yeah, that entire race just like blew me away. Um, and but I did like some of the other designs, like uh, T.J. Miller's character. I thought <coughs> looked good. And at first, I didn't really like him as the voice of that character. But then after thinking about it, I did actually like appreciate it more. Just because, well, I know there's like a lot of controversy about T.J. Miller right now, and like there's talks that he should have been cut out of it and they should have revoice casted it or whatever. But like. Just him being like the, um, like the internet gangster almost, you know, he's like, he's, you can tell he's a nerd, but like, he's like a bully who hides behind this like avatar of his. And, um, there's like a, there's a moment at the end that like kind of pays off for his character. And then also just like video game culture when you 
like lose all your loot or whatever. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> See, that's an interesting point that you just made, but I feel like that would work better for me if we actually saw the real world character. Yeah. You kind of have to like fill in the like, I mean, blanks. TJ but... <laughs> Miller is very famous. We know what TJ Miller looks like, but within like the diegesis of the film itself, we don't see his real world avatar. So he's just this kind of snarky kind of annoying like i was not a huge fan of his character because he is supposed to be this like kind of menacing figure he's supposed to be a badass he's supposed to be this like hired hand yeah he's like a bounty hunter yeah but i don't know just the the wisecracking and it didn't really work for that like it's interesting that you mentioned you know he's this the the design of the character is really cool i thought that was interesting but that contrast with the the man behind not T.J. Miller specifically, but you just don't see him. So I feel like that joke would work better, even on a visual level. Yeah. If we saw, you know, maybe T.J. Miller in his fucking sweatpants, like his beard kind of haggard, you know, like maybe that would work the better for The guy from me. the World of Warcraft South Park episode. <clears throat> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is an interesting point. Though. That's That's who I basically picture his character as in the real world. But like, at first, I just thought the contrast was so weird of... Because he's he's a menacing at like figure, his avatar, mm-hmm. um, and then the voice of it doesn't really match that character. But then if you think about it, like you get to choose your avatar, you get to be whoever you want to be in this world. Then I think it works, but you do have to kind of just like take it for what it is, because you don't get that like other side of it, like you said. Right, right, right. Um, so what did you think of uh Ben Mendelssohn? He was kind of the main villain. He's the like the CEO of uh IOI. This corporation is trying to win the prize because if you win, you get control. You basically control the oasis. Yeah. So they want to use it to make money, sell advertisements, all that kind of shit. Um what did you think of him in particular? I thought he was good. I mean, I feel like he plays two roles these days. He either plays like some sort of like commanding figure like in Rogue One or in this, uh, you know, where he's like the bad guy, but he's like the leader of the bad guys or whatever. And then it in like smaller movies, he plays just like a dirtbag usually. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. just some sort of like junkie or, you know, druggy or just, just kind of slimy. Yes. Like, yeah. Looks like he hasn't showered or brushed his teeth in a while. <laughs> but Always he, looking out for himself. Yeah, yeah, but he plays both those roles very well, mm-hmm. and they're almost like polar opposites, which is kind of weird. Yeah, because he's very like polished and proper in this, and then in, in like killing them softly, he's just like <laughs> a bag of garbage. <laughs> yeah, so I, I also enjoyed his performance quite a bit in this. Yeah. I like that um, you you get that like he's a really good villain but he also knows how to turn on the charm and the manipulation so there's a scene where he's talking with parzival trying to convince him to like work for them and he's like getting fed information oh, yeah. in his ear that but he's making all funny. these like nerdy <laughs> references and he's like trying to be the cool guy you know <coughs> i thought that was pretty good that that stuff worked for me yeah um there's a couple things i want to get into in spoilers there's one thing in particular that i think they tried to cram a little bit too much in the movie. So it kind of moves a little too fast for its own good. There's one moment in particular that I want to get into, but um, pacing wise, 
It's rapid fire. The movie, it's not a short movie. It's like, what, two hours and yeah, 15 minutes? Something I think like so, that. yeah. There weren't any lulls, but at the same time, it, it goes pretty quick and they kind of gloss over some of the details, which I feel like some things in particular could have been fleshed out a little bit more, but it didn't really detract so much as it was just a noticeable, like, you're just rushing it a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I did like that scene a lot, though, the one that you were talking about, because it's almost like a play on like a date, you know, like you've seen those scenes in like movies or TV shows where someone goes on a date, but then like they have someone like feeding them what to say or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like trying to impress Wade or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Um, and then uh, what was the other thing I wanted to touch on before we get into some spoiler stuff? Um, I'm blanking. Anything else uh, before we do a brief spoiler discussion that you wanted to touch on? No. Okay, let's do star ratings. Um, uh, I was torn between a four and a four and a half. I think I might have logged it as a four. I'm going four and a half on this. I'm going four. Okay. Solid four. Two fours, back to back it's, fours, huh? I don't think it's good enough to be a four point five, but it's definitely better than a three point five. <laughs> I just, I, I just think about, mm, you know. Okay, no, I, never mind. I'm gonna go with a four. <laughs> I because uh, I, I know what I want to talk about in this next section. So there's, yeah, there's some things I really, really enjoyed it. There are just a couple things that irked me, and you know, it doesn't really. It's eye candy. Some of the best eye candy I've seen in a while. But it is eye candy. You know, it's it's entertainment for the masses. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get into a brief spoiler discussion. So if you have not seen Ready Player One or you don't want... This is mostly going to be a pop culture discussion. So if you don't mind getting spoiled by the pop culture references that are in the film, go ahead and listen. But if not, check the time bait stamp. Um before we get into the pop culture stuff, before it slips my mind, there was a moment that was very much glossed over. It's when they send like the drone strike to his like his aunt's oh, yeah. place. And it's this like crazy moment because he's trying to get home and he's running and then he sees it happen. He sees the whole structure explode. The whole building comes falling down. And then immediately, it's like he just forgets it ever happened. Like, he gets reunited with Artemis, and they're just, like, lovey-dovey, and they're hugging and stuff. And it's just like, dude, your fucking aunt just got fucking murdered. Yeah. (laughs) He brings it up later in the movie where he's like, you killed my aunt. But it's just like, here's this moment where it's like, he has almost no real-world connections. His aunt is one of the few that he has. Yeah. She just gets fucking blown up because of him. And it just completely glosses over that. You get right into the next scene, and it's like it never happened. Well, and it's one of those weird situations where, like, the only interaction we get from them is, like, mostly, like, a negative interaction. Well, mostly because she has a douchey boyfriend who was from The Witch. Did you catch that? Oh, yeah. It's the same guy from Hurricane Heist. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew we had talked about that guy recently. Okay. Yeah, he plays the like the douchey uh, boyfriend abusive guy. Right, but we never really get any sort of like moments with them to think that they have like a a super positive relationship by any means. So like it's one of those things where like when she does die, is it like like if he were to act? I mean, obviously it's it's a sad thing because like a family member of his died, but 
we don't really get any scenes to tell us that they have like a strong bond other than that they're related. Yeah, sure. Which is fair, but like from a character perspective, it felt lacking. I don't need that moment for me. I don't care that she's dead. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. Anyone in this movie <laughs> could die, and I, I wouldn't really care with a few exceptions. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was more just, it didn't ring true for me. It felt insincere because he, he was emotional for like a couple seconds. Right. And then he has to flee, and then he gets reunited with his friends because you think that he uh, is captured. Uh, by ioi but really he's captured by the resistance he wakes up and olivia cook is there so which i thought that was kind of neat because i also yeah. i thought he got caught by ioi same and then it turns out oh there's this like we've, we've both been in columbus the whole time that's crazy i can see my house from here yeah. you know shit like that <laughs> um so th- that was kind of a that was kind of a bummer for me but yeah um let's talk pop culture all right. Uh, some of the highlights. Uh, Chucky. Yes, that was, was pretty awesome. funny. <laughs> Chucky was cool. Uh, they yeah. use Chucky as basically like a kind of like a grenade. They throw him at the people and he just fucking yeah. starts stabbing guys. He's ruthless. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, well, let's. You want to talk about your favorite uh, sequence, which was also my favorite sequence. The but Shining you brought sequence. Up, the Shining. Yes, I just because I wasn't expecting it and. When it happened, I, I just, like, thought of all the other possibilities. Like, I could you do, like, a whole movie where it's just, like, redoing classic movie sequences in, like, a, a fun... It's almost like they turn The Shining into, like, a haunted house or something. Yeah. But, and put it in the middle of this movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, what a cool fucking idea. I mean, that's, like, one of the best horror movies of all time. Everything about that movie is so iconic and... Like, I just got super excited in the theater watching it. And they really take their time with it, too. Most of these references are just kind of throwaway gags. Like, oh, hey, it's Tracer from Overwatch. Oh, hey, it's a battle toad. Right. (laughs) But this, it's like a 10-minute sequence. They use the music from The Shining. Like, as soon as that music kicked in, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They filmed it in the Overlook Hotel. There's What I thought was really clever is that there's five main characters are kind of like the posse yeah um, and one of them has not seen the shining so he's just kind of wandering around like oh this is kind of weird it's kind of creepy and he right. sees the two twin girls <laughs> and they're like do you want to play with us and they go in the elevator and he tries to chase them and we know we've seen the shining we know what happens at that elevator yeah and then his friends turn the corner and like no don't open that and then he does and then of course <laughs> yeah. the flood of blood comes flying out of the elevator Room 247, the lady in the tub. He's like, oh, what's what's going on here? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So funny. It's so, like, there was clearly, uh, I don't feel like Spielberg was, like, phoning it in by any means, but you could really tell that's where his heart was. Yeah. Because, like I said, that wasn't in the novel, and he and Stanley Kubrick were, were very close friends. I mean, he finished, he did AI because Stanley Kubrick died before he could could do it. Right. Um, so that was that was really neat. The, 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 there was so much like uh, time spent in this. You know, it wasn't just a gag. Well, and it, it was, was like, creative too. It wasn't just like we're going to rehash all these moments from The Shining. He just like repurposed them to make like this fun sequence. Because like I mean, the blood thing, you knew it was coming, but like they used it in a way that we didn't see it in The Shining, and then like. But they still made sure they referenced all the big things, like even like the maze, like 
we go to the maze, but it's not like the the maze experience that we get in The Shining. It's some like elevated, like escalated yeah. It's like a, a I yeah. I want to keep saying it's just like a haunted house type thing because it's. I mean, you get Jack, who's like I don't know, like twelve feet tall or something, and it's like a animated Jack, Ooh. and he's like you know running through the maze with the axe, and um, they like make a point to like make a joke out of the picture on the wall, and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was. Fun. Yeah. The Shining's not a not a fun movie. No. <laughs> so they found a way to take this very serious, but very um it's very it's a huge part of pop culture. Yeah. Everyone knows here's Johnny, you know, the axe breaking down the door, the creepy shining twins. Yeah, red rum. Yeah, like all that <laughs> stuff. But it's it's played kind of for comedic effect, but not in a bad way. Like it felt it felt like uh you know there was a lot of heart like it felt like uh they were the the filmmaking team really like had put a lot of love and attention into that sequence yeah i mean so that was really cool it's in the trailers the iron giants i thought that was pretty cool you know they they make a reference to i was doing as a commission he's building the iron giant you know and that makes his way into the battle and then that was the terminator reference that you were talking about that was great Him lowering into the lava, the thumbs up. Oh, that was so good. See, those were, those kind of visual references are so much more clever and interesting to me yeah. than just like making the characters say stupid nerdy shit that feels like yeah. it's forced, you know? And it's it's subtle, but it's not like... I mean, it's if you're a fan of Terminator, you know that moment. Um, but it's not like lazy or just, you know, like it, they're just like little creative like little bits that are yeah, just thrown into the movie. yeah um mecha godzilla was cool that's yeah, the form that, cool. that uh ben Mendelssohn's character takes in the final confrontation which i mean while we're on the final confrontation you mentioned that that was like your least favorite i thought that was awesome it was just like this huge battle there's references everywhere yeah. i know i missed a ton of them there so did i too <laughs> much there was just too much happening in that sequence not in a bad way um, yeah there's just a lot a lot the, the the spartans from halo there's just like a, a team of them oh coming right in the battle you know you see sonic for like a split second i didn't see sonic oh see? really yeah see he like spins in the middle of the screen for what? like a really? second yeah uh, how did i not catch that <laughs> well you didn't see the bed was i didn't see the battle, the battle toad, toad? No. i'm pretty sure it was a battle toad i've heard a battle toads in it so okay. <laughs> um yeah that was a really fun sequence uh, i wasn't a huge fan of the like you have to like the cracking the code was like playing the Atari oh yeah because it felt uh too convenient because there's basically at ioi there's this like panel of like nerds who are like trying to crack the code and there's this girl who they keep coming back to who's like you can tell she's thinking she knows something that the other people don't know and then she comes out and she's like it's adventure. It's blah, 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 blah. And then they play adventure and it's working for a long time, but then he beats the game. Yeah. And that falls through the ice. And then she's like, no, it's not about beating the game. It's about the Easter egg that she, like, she knew there was an Easter egg in it. Yeah. You think her mind, the whole thing is about finding an Easter egg. She clearly knew there was an Easter egg because she even knew how to get it. Oh, like, right. That felt way too convenient. Cause. Yeah. Everything with these characters, as far as solving the mystery, it just clicks so easily for them. So for her to get the right game, but not immediately think, oh, 
the very first Easter egg ever in this game, maybe it has something to do with the Easter egg. You know, right? It's like, all too convenient, and because as soon as it, as soon as he beats the game, she realizes, oh, right, Easter egg, and she like you right. know, she should have been smart enough to know the real, yeah, like answer. Or whatever. So like obviously, it's it's a movie. You gotta keep the plot rolling along, and it's sure there's gonna be some liberties that are taken with like. What are the odds that these just like kids are able to solve this mystery that no one has been able to figure out, you know? Yeah. Um, what did you think of uh one of the highlights for me was actually Mark Rylance playing Howard? Oh, yeah. It was a different role for him, but he was really good, just so awkward and like you can tell he's very kind, like he yeah. was great. I liked him a lot. I didn't I didn't recognize him at first. I was like, who is that? Is that Mark Rylance? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, I didn't recognize him either. But yeah, I think he fit the character well. Just yeah. like the the nerdy, awkward, like hadn't ever had much of a social life. But like you could tell he, he fit the like the nerd who was obsessed with this kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. And then uh, his partner, the other owner <laughs> of the company was Simon Pegg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which uh, his voice sounded weird to me because I know he has an accent and I've heard him do an American accent plenty of times, but yeah. I don't know. It didn't, even though I was looking at Simon Pegg, didn't feel it didn't like him. sound like Simon yeah. Pegg. Like, <laughs> did you get that at all? I don't a know little, what yeah. it was. That was interesting. It, didn't, it was not a positive or a negative. It was just something yeah. I noticed. Um, What else? There's just so many goddamn positive I liked how, King Kong was like the main villain of the race, the as race far as like the yeah, like the end. one of the like obstacles, I guess, to get through. Well, uh, the T Rex in that sequence also, yeah, I and mean, that was very. I mean, people were saying that may or may not have been the T Rex from Jurassic Park. It was the fucking T Rex from Jurassic Park. Come on, yeah, that's absolutely what it was. <laughs> right. That was really cool. Were there any other? Uh, explicit Spielberg references besides that one. I didn't see E.T. I didn't see Indiana mm. Jones. Like, did you catch anything that was like, ex- like self-referential? Yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. Almost all of that is in there, just maybe kind of hidden. Yeah, Easter eggs, you know, for fans to find. Yeah, I haven't went on the internet yet. I haven't but... really been reading a <laughs> complete list of pop culture references right. in Ready Player One, all four thousand. Um, it was Gundam at the end, right? Yes, that was, was pretty cool. I was never a fan of that growing up. I but... was a little bit, but see, that's another moment that kind of bothered me because he's like waiting to join the fights, and they're like, "What are you doing? We need you!" And it's just like. It works in the sense that, like, when he does finally show up, it's this cool battle between the Gundam and a Mecha Godzilla. But it just doesn't make any sense why he would wait to join the fight. Like, he doesn't want to yeah. play his cards too early, I guess. But like, I don't know. That that wasn't my favorite moment. Yeah, um, I guess in the book it's Ultraman, but like, what the fuck is Ultraman? Some like sixties Japanese like. Kind of like it looks almost like Power Rangers or something. Uh, so like a similar like, uh, um, what do they call them in Pacific Rim? Kaiju or the monsters? Jaegers. Is it Jaegers? Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's an old that's an old term. It's I think so. Yeah. To, so maybe that's what it was. I um, did. Um, people were complaining about the Iron Giant just because like the Iron Giant was against violence in the actual movie, the Iron Giant. But like, I thought it was fine just because like. It's that person's avatar that they want to use for this game. 
and this game happens to deal with, you know, fighting or combat or whatever. Totally. And when you think about, like, pop culture, you think about when you're a kid growing up playing with action figures. Like, you don't adhere to, like, the mythos of Batman <laughs> yeah. when you're playing with a Batman action figure, you know? You're like, your imagination. Batman wow. wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, you don't seven think, years old. What have I done? Batman would never have done that. Dear God. So, like, I get why that would annoy people, yeah. I guess. But it's like, shut up, you fucking nerds. Like, right. <laughs> um, there were so many. I'm blanking on on other. Um, there's like a Buckaroo Bonsai. I'm not familiar with. I mean, I know Buckaroo Bonsai, but that was yeah. a, a, an explicit one. Oh, the it was kind of cheap, but kind of funny. The uh, the alien chestburst gag, like Artemis, like oh yeah, puts on that the was fake funny. Costume, the thing. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. I did like that one. Goro from Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Goro shows up cool. for a bit there. Um, I mean, we could just throw out pop culture references all day, so maybe yeah. we should kind of wrap <laughs> this up. But uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm definitely gonna get the 4K UHD of this yeah. bad boy. Um, oh yeah, you saw it in 3D. I think I might. Go check it out again. See it again. Yeah. It looked really cool. It was uh, 3D is is pretty good nowadays. It's not yeah. super in your face. It's uh, if it's immersive. It used to be kind of a gag, but it looks so good now. And it doesn't like some people. It, it hurts their eyes. Um, I never really had that issue, but I really enjoyed it in 3D. I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Cool. Anything else on Ready Player One? Nope. All right, that concludes spoiler discussion. Let's get into what else we've been watching. Um, I don't have much, so you can go first. I would say prioritize, you know, what you want to talk about, because otherwise you're just going to be talking. Start for like with thirty minutes. New releases. Let's do it. So I saw a Quiet Place this weekend. Came out this weekend that we're recording. Yep. And a lot of buzz behind this bad boy. I kind of wish we were doing a feature on it, but I'm the only one. <laughs> we still <laughs> could. I mean, we could save. I mean, it'll we'll be a couple weeks removed yeah. from it by next week. But I think I'll just yeah, I'll just touch on it a little bit. Yeah. yeah um, definitely. I loved it It, yeah yeah it definitely met my expectations i had pretty high ones for it just because the concept looked cool there was nothing but positive buzz uh i think it's awesome that john krasinski is getting into directing and he's making like a like a big like hollywood horror movie as his first one just because i don't know i just didn't really like i wouldn't expect that from him you know like my first impression of him is Jim in the office. Oh, I was just going to say, this helps him break the gym mold. Yeah. Up until this point, I haven't seen the movie yet, but he's just, anytime I see him in anything, it's just Jim. I can't take him seriously, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I feel like this will probably go a long way to... I mean, he's definitely, like, bulked up a bit, and he's rocking a beard in this, and so he he definitely has, like, a more, like, masculine look to him these days, but, like, him playing his father in this movie, he did such a great job, and... Um. yeah it's just an awesome movie like you don't ever feel like any of the characters are safe and like the movie is so suspenseful like there's so many good scenes where you're just like on the edge of your seat like freaking out for what's <laughs> going on and it's all built off like the, the silence you know like the whole thing is is that the the creatures in this movie react to sound and that's basically it so you have to be as quiet as possible but like the the characters in the town they've like 
the town that they live in, they like litter it with sand. So they walk barefoot in sand, like to town and around where they live and stuff. So like, that's the whole point of it. Um, but like the, the creature design is awesome. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I was kind of worried from the trailer. Yeah. And they also don't like take too much time to reveal it either. You're just like, so as they're all building up to like, Oh my God, that's what the monster looks like. Right. Like, okay. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Um, but yeah, you, you just f- care about the characters and it's, it looks awesome. Um, yeah, it's super entertaining. Um, we can talk about it some more. Later. Yeah. One thing I will say, did this bother you? Um, <laughs> we know from the trailer, there's a scene where they're walking on a bridge in complete silence and one of the kids has a toy that makes sound. Why would they give a toy that makes sound to a child? Like, why wouldn't they take the batteries right. out of it or something? So Is that in the plot? Without or? spoiling it, they do it in a way that it makes sense. Okay. And the placement of that scene is not where you would expect it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good. Because I, I saw that and I was like, come on. Yeah. Really? Really? Okay. I'm, well, I'm glad to hear that. And there is, I'll just say there's a big moment in this movie that completely pays off and i think that's just like what completely made the movie for me like there's just this one moment where you're just like oh my god <laughs> oh, yeah. was that was that when you came was it that <laughs> <laughs> uh no not necessarily came but i'll just i want to be as vague not as... necessarily <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna say one way or the other if i came or not but <laughs> i just yeah i want to be as vague as possible yeah. but good stuff yeah I, i'm seeing it uh in less than a week so I don't know if Tom Tom is interested too. I think yeah. we'll we'll do a more thorough discussion in the next episode, but I at least will be seeing it. So we'll chime in. With highly highly recommended. Cool, cool. I'm happy to Especially hear if you're into the horror genre. How scary was it? Pretty scary. I mean, yeah. I'm not like one to get scared by movies usually, um, but I could tell it would definitely freak some people out. And there's a like especially like the just the suspense of some of the scenes it just adds like tension and yeah totally cool uh i also saw love simon did you see that with your brother i saw it with chelsea oh okay this movie was also amazing and i was very surprised by that i think the marketing of this movie was terrible really the trailer did not sell me on it uh, and I haven't I, even seen the trailer. I, I think it's just some of the, the the parts that they pulled from the movie and put in the trailer just didn't really make sense. Right. Um, and then I forget what the like cardboard standee said at the Regal Theater, but it just like drove me crazy. It was something about like don't stand in line and get concessions by yourself, and it was almost like comparing like being gay to like being lonely, and it was just like. I don't know, it was kind of gross. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I wasn't like super excited to see it, but then I saw that it was getting really good reviews and I just heard positive things about it. So I thought, you know, I'd go check it out. And it actually like was way better than I thought it was going to be. It's just like a, like a super good, just like coming of age high school drama type story, almost just like something like John Hughes or something. Um, but like it's it's universal. You like you don't have to be gay to like to relate and feel yeah, empathy. Yeah, because the there's like it's like dealing with 
loneliness and like not feeling like part of the crowd or like just like conflict you can deal with like with your friends where something so small like that you deal with that teenage life is like so catastrophic to you but in actuality it's not that big a deal like you're gonna get over it but like the stakes are never higher than when you're in like (laughs) high school you know everything feels so goddamn important (laughs) but anyone looking in on that is just like you're a kid dude chill out but at the same time you know that shapes who you are yeah you can go through some some shit at that age right yeah. But yeah, then like all the, the characters are super fun to hang out with. Like it's just a super entertaining movie. It's funnier than I expected. Um it just like really captures like the sense of high school. Like it almost made me want to go back to high school in a weird way. Or like made me miss it a little bit. Cause like they there's like scenes of like them at like a football game and just like hanging out after class and stuff and just like I kind of miss some of that you know growing up um yeah i would agree but yeah i thought it was really well done and it's like one of those movies i think that is pretty much like universal like you could recommend it to anyone like i'd compare this to like wonder last year kind of you know two kids dealing with something that not everyone else is necessarily dealing with and then just how they like you know grow okay with it or deal with it or (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh it was really good cool cool um when we keep going how much you got how much you actually want to talk about uh i'll just yeah did i talk about game over man last time or no no you did not it was awful (laughs) that is what i have heard i was kind of excited for that so it's like a it's almost like a a diehard spoof yeah but it's it's, I don't know. It's just so bad. Like the most of the humor is like very vulgar and crude, but it's also just like not funny. Like I would say, take the worst like high concept work Holics episode and just stretch it to feature length, and that's this movie. <laughs> and I like Workaholics. Yeah, but I'm not so the biggest I. fan in the world. You know, right? I would say season one and two. I was like, oh my god, I love this show. But then like as season three and four rolled around, I was just like. It's funny. I like these guys, but they're kind of just doing the same thing over and over. They're a little bro-y, too. Yeah. A lot of the humor is, like like you said, vulgar, but also just, like, very masculine. Like, there's plenty of women who like workaholics. Yeah. That's like a, you know, college dude bro type of show. You know what I mean? Right. Which I like it. And not to talk too much shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just think they, they had, like a lot of charm when they first started but it just kind of wore off after a while sure, sure. and now they're just like these guys just trying to like they're just doing the same thing essentially over and over and it just has gotten old <laughs> um but yeah i would stay away from that <laughs> uh i watched Ooh, i watched the crash reel on hbo what was that? it's a snowboarding documentary about what was his name kevin pierce so it was like back in the day when him and Sean White were competing for like the Olympics or whatever, and he's practicing for his run and he falls like head first and he suffers like a traumatic brain injury. And so the whole story is about him like rehabilitating and like trying to get back up to the point where he can snowboard again. And like it was so bad that he like 
he is permanently damaged from it, but he actually like recovered a lot better than most people would have. Right. Sure. Um, but then it like gets into the whole thing of that, like how dangerous these sports are and like how there's not very great insurance for these sports. Like the sports don't support them from like a medical standpoint. Right. And how like this, the fans and just like the, the nature of the sport just demands everything to be crazier and bigger and better every year. So the, the people doing these stunts feel the pressure of that. And of course they want to be the best. They want to put on a good show. So they're going to basically put their lives and bodies at risk to perform. But, you know, obviously there's consequences that come with that. So you just get to see like the, the true side of like what can happen when someone does get, severely injured from one of these sports but um yeah i thought it was really good you sean white will touch in on this story like every once in a while i'll cut to him and he'll like you know like give his kind of side of the story and um but i always just like empathize with people who are obsessed with something and like they no longer get to do it like kind of like i tanya um how she gets banned from skating like he's basically told he should never snowboard again and like snowboarding is his life. And like, just like watching people go through that is just like so devastating. Cause you know, like the passion that people have for something and I've been passionate about stuff. And if people were to take that away from me, like, you know, I would be a mess too. Like sure. uh Prince, have you ever seen that video of Prince Fielder when like he basically is given his retirement speech? Cause he, something was like messed up with his back, but he's like in tears, like, saying like this is all he knows like and that stuff just like wrecks me <laughs> um but it was really good and it's on hbo if you want to check it out okay cool i know you're into docs i do you usually got one every week for us. basically the only thing i got <laughs> this week is a doc oh really mm-hmm. uh i watched that dark days documentary from a while back so that's like the the internet like no, it's the like cyber like No, it's a documentary about like the homeless people that are in like the underground tunnel of New York. Oh, okay, I'm thinking of something else. So the story behind this movie is actually pretty cool and it was an interesting documentary. It's so it's basically just like this this director Mark Singer, he's from I think the UK. He moved to New York and he started becoming friends with like homeless people just, you know, walking down the street or in the um like train station or whatever yeah and so he started developing a relationship with them and then he like wanted like put a spotlight on them so he just basically documented them living down in this underground area and the homeless people basically say how it's like safer down there than it is up on the streets like it's it's cleaner up there or cleaner down there like they have like electricity and stuff and like they have they basically make a case that they have it pretty good down there and like they don't have to like pay any bills and, you know, they just kind of live off the land or whatever. And, um, like it's kind of like a, a community. So like they don't necessarily have to worry about people stealing their stuff. Like it's, it feels safe to them. Right. Probably fewer instances of like abuse, like all that kind of stuff too. But then after, you know, going through the days with them, it eventually gets to the point where they need to get, they get kicked out um, because the the city is basically saying it's unsafe to live down there, which I mean, it is, it's not, but it's also not safe to live on the streets either. Right, right. Um, but through this documentary, this guy 
basically gets these homeless people housing. So like this documentary actually like did something more than just entertain or, you know, like make money. And I, I think it's cool when like a, a movie can actually like do something like positive yeah, other than make just, real change. Yeah. Like, uh, the thin blue line like that. Didn't that change the case? Yeah. For, yeah. they like reopened it and yeah. it was, like, a retrial or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. It's all shot in black and white, and it actually looks pretty good considering that was like his first movie he ever made, and he wasn't really like interested in filmmaking that much. He just decided to make a documentary about these people, but like it's well shot, and like the black and white like adds to it just because like they're in the tunnel. It's called Dark Days. Like it's all very fitting. Sure. And yeah, um, I watched. Oh, I also saw a Flower in the theater. The, I've heard good things with uh, Zoe, uh, my girl, Zoe Deutsch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it was good. I liked it. It definitely went places I wasn't expecting. What is it about? Um, well, without spoiling it. <laughs> um, it's basically about like this, this girl who's growing up. Um, she's just like, just going through the motions of being a teenager. Um, and there's like, well, okay. So, her mom's boyfriend has like a, a kid who's in rehab and then he gets out of rehab and then they get introduced and they start to form like a, a friendship. Um, but the kid's like kind of different cause he's, <laughs> well, I don't know. He's just like, you know, he's, he's been to rehab. He's like, he's got some like mental issues and like anger issues. So like, and she's not really used to that. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought you just, were gonna say he's a werewolf, or, you know, like <laughs> no. <laughs> I I wouldn't call him like a, a typical teenager. Sure. Okay. Um, so she forms a friendship with him, but then there's like an event that takes place. I see. I don't want to really talk about it too much because it good enough. Yeah, okay. but it was it was good. It was good. It was funny and entertaining, and yeah, it wasn't. It was not what I was expecting. Has my girl Zoe in it? She's good. I yeah. mean, she's she's she plays that character well. It's like she embodies it very well. Cool. Yeah, glad to hear. I like her. Um, it has kind of like a uh, "Angry Goes West" vibe, a little mm. bit. Not like the, the necessarily the the plot. Stuff? No, no, no. Not like the themes, I guess, but just like the feel of it, like the sense of humor. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but oddly enough, the director of Anger Goes West helped write this. Did he? Yes. Well, that probably explains the correlation. Yes. There. <laughs> um, I watched that uh, Gook movie from last year. Yeah, I heard some good things about that. It's also shot in black and white, and it's it's around like the L.A. riots yeah. time. But the basic story is there's like this this little black girl who has a relationship, like a friendship with these two Asian guys who run like a shoe shop, but then like it's basically just like them going through their days as the, the riot is going on around them and how the riot like intersects in their life and how they have to deal with it. Um, I thought it was, it was okay. Um, I feel like the acting in it wasn't too great. I guess the, the, the main, one of the main actors in it is also the director and writer of it. And he's like, probably in his 20s or so. So is it like mostly non-actors? Um, I didn't really recognize anyone, but I don't know if they were 
non-actors or not. Right, okay. <clears throat> but yeah, it was okay. Um, it's it's kind of similar to other movies like this, just like another urban drama movie where there's conflict and it's just a shitty situation and characters trying to get through it. Um, and I feel like it tries to be a little like, I don't know, like metaphorical. Like it's like, but it didn't really work for me. Trying to make like a bigger <laughs> point, but it doesn't really quite reach. Yeah, like it, his character is like kind of like philosophizing and it's like, I don't know. I just, it feels like this was like a, a very ambitious project to take on, like what he was trying to do for it. And I don't think it necessarily worked, but I would, I would say the climax is definitely effective in, um, yeah, it's pretty like powerful, but besides that, it was kind of generic besides the like black and white photography. But. This is on one of the streaming sites, right? Where is it? It's on Netflix. Okay. I would say it's, it's worth watching, but I wouldn't necessarily rush out to go watch it. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Um, I'll let you have a turn. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> did not watch much. Um, been busy with the move and everything. But I did get the chance to watch one one new movie. Uh, are you familiar with The Iron Sheik? I'm not. It's a wrestler. Are you familiar with a man named Hulk Hogan? Yes. Hulkamania would not have happened without the Iron Sheik. Oh, okay. Now I know who you're talking about. Didn't I say the wrestler? Yeah, yeah, But Anyway. Yes. It's about the WWF wrestler from the 80s, the Iron Sheik. It's, uh, it's a documentary on... It's not an Amazon original, but I did watch it on Amazon. It's called The Sheik. And uh, I was a huge wrestling fan growing up. So it, it's kind of hard to say, like, objectively how good of a documentary it was. I found it really interesting because I, I'll watch any documentary about wrestling, you know. I watched that Jake the Snake documentary from a year or two ago. Um, the Iron Sheik was before my time because I didn't start getting into wrestling. It's like the mid-90s. So this was, you know. This was late 80s, but, you know, my dad, my, my, my parents remember the Iron Sheik. Um, but like many wrestlers of his era, he uh, burned hot and bright and then fizzled out hard. So the movie documents, like, his career. You know, it's a documentary about the Iron Sheik. So it gets into his upbringing. He's actually from Iran. So he came to the States, wanted to be a wrestler, but he... Uh, uh, he got like uh, recruited by Vince McMahon or something, and they realized that he could turn this into a really good villain because this was like shortly after the Iranian hostage crisis happened. <laughs> so what do they do? They take they turn him into like the bad guy. So in wrestling, you have terms uh, babyface, which is like the good guy. That's, you know, the rocks of the world, your John Cena's, and then you have your heels. Uh, and you have, when you're talking about heels, you're talking about heat. So you want, there's good heat and there's bad heat. So they spend a lot of time talking about how no one had, no one in the world had more heat than the Iron Sheik because he represented everything that like Americans like hated at the time, you know, a foreign invader, very real life parallels you can draw with the whole, you know, crisis between our country and Iran. 
so it's that stuff is super fascinating, but it's sad. Um, basically when I was talking about Hulk Hogan before, so basically like Hulk Hogan was going to be like the next big thing in wrestling, but they had to transfer power as far as like the belts. So basically Iron Sheik beats the guy who had been the, the belt holder for like six years. This was before WWF was like as big as it was. Yeah. So they had to pass the torch, but they needed someone to be, to act as the middleman. So they had Iron Sheik defeat this like six year reigning champ. Here's this bad guy who's like the best wrestler in the world. And then they set him up to lose to Hulk Hogan. And then fucking Hulkamania takes off and the rest is history. Shortly <laughs> after that, Iron Sheik, like they talk, they show him like really puny, like, amateur wrestling events like you see the iron sheik in like really shitty rings and to crowds of like dozens he like got addicted to crack and heroin and like it's sad but it's it's really good there's a lot you know they interview the rock this blew my mind i say jabroni all the time and i credit that to the rock they interview the rock and the rock credits it to the iron sheik oh, really? he took it from the iron sheik oh, wow. the iron sheik used to call people jabronis all the time so the rock took it so that kind of changed my life forever That's because awesome. now now i'm the world's biggest iron sheik fan. <laughs> yeah. but i don't know if you know but like in recent memory he's kind of like come back into the public eye because uh social media so these two guys that he know, like he was always saying like crazy shit. So they like made like a Twitter account for him for the Iron Sheik and they just tweet his like broken English, like the stuff that he says. And he became this like huge Twitter star. Oh, weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then, then now they're booking him at like uh, celebrity events and like social media conferences and stuff. So he's doing better now. So it yeah. had a happy ending. But, How, when was this made? Uh, Like last year. Oh, okay. Very recent. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. That sounds interesting. It was good. You know, especially, I mean, I know you were into wrestling when you were younger. Uh, I was. Or did you say no, I was? I said you were. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I was the same era as you. I mean, during like the... Attitude like, era. Yeah. DX, Stone Cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, all the good stuff. Kane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's an interesting story. I don't really know. Even if you aren't a wrestling fan, be interested. But it definitely helps that, you know, yeah. I love wrestling. Um, um, it's funny. I was actually just I was watching WrestleMania at Tyler's before I came over here. Oh, were you? Okay. Yeah. It's so when I was younger, I never used the terms or even knew of the terms like heel and, heel and face, face or whatever. Yeah. Like it was always just good guys versus bad guys. But even like Noah, Tyler's son, says heel, and he like knows all the lingo. And it's probably because Tyler, you know, he talks about it and stuff. But like, I guess I was never that involved or engaged with it or i don't know too naive you know and like i i thought wrestling was real and like <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff i didn't i don't know if i thought it was real but it was real to me right know? they yeah. weren't just like characters like they were like heroes you know like, yeah i looked up to them and like the crazy shit they did in the ring like caught me by surprise right know, that kind of stuff but it is funny how like you can almost like like pick who's going to win based off like the politics of wrestling or like what's happening in that person's career. Cause like I'll be sitting there watching it with Tyler and Tyler's like, Oh, well, this guy's probably going to lose because like he has a kid coming and like, <laughs> he's like, this guy's probably going to win because he's on the rise and they want him to do this eventually. And like, it's just kind of funny how there's like so much politics and writing involved in wrestling 
and it's all about like the show and like like the the speeches you know like the rock was so popular because like i mean once he grabbed that mic everyone was just like he could work yeah (laughs) one of my favorite videos that i've ever seen you can find it on youtube um the rock when he first returned to the wwe it would have been years i think this was probably like 2010 2011 he had been gone for a long time the first time the rock got back into the ring (laughs) it's like five minutes of just like (laughs) uproarious applause the whole crowd is going nuts yeah and then the speech that he gives like oh it gives me chills just thinking right like i have goosebumps (laughs) they're uh you know we're kind of going on a tangent yeah like the way wrestlers use like intro music is incredible because like You'll just be sitting there watching it, and then, like, someone's music hits, and you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, The Undertaker's a perfect example. You know who's a perfect example? Stone Cold, Stone Cold Steve oh, Austin. Yeah. You hear the, the glass, glass break, and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wrestling used to be so good. Why is it so bad now? It's so bad now. Did you get to see uh, the return of Daniel Bryan before you left? No. Or that hadn't happened no, yet? No, I saw the the 20 like girl battle royale and then i saw the the triple threat match between the miz seth rollins and some other guy yeah it's wrestling's a fucking <laughs> did you hear what like one of the the main events is though for t- tonight no it's like triple h and stephanie mcmahon versus ronda rousey and kurt angle gross <laughs> like, no. what it's like celebrity oh wrestling my God. <laughs> ronda rousey really barf I guess that makes sense, though, because, like, WCW used to do that kind of crap. Yeah. Like, Carl Malone was wrestling. Oh, yeah, point. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, fucking out of control, uh, man. Um, I'll only talk about one other thing. Oh, well, no, two. Real quick. I watched Before Sunrise again. I watched it with Paris. She had never seen it before. It's a fucking great movie. Is Talked that about the it pretty second recently. one? No, it was the first one. Oh, okay. She hasn't seen any of them, so we'll watch the other ones, too. I talked about it recently. I'm not yeah. going to get into it, but it's a goddamn good movie. Um, only other thing that I'll talk about is I forgot to talk about this last time, but I have finished season three of Love, which is the third and final season of that show. Oh, yeah. Have you ever watched any of that? No, but I want to. You should. And Chelsea would like it, too. Um, <laughs> that was a great show. Um, it, it has a lot of heart. It's funny. It plays with tropes especially when it comes to the idea of the nice guy especially with some of like judd apatow's like other productions you have like the nice guy and you know they they things bad things happen to them they can be kind of a dick sometimes but you know the nice guy always wins in the end you know they get the girl they make amends this kind of deals more into like um like the toxic aspects of like the nice guy meaning the guy who presents himself as a nice guy but then when he doesn't get what he wants he places blame on makes himself a victim you know like nice guys always finish last why don't girls like me you're so mean you know that kind of stuff yeah different aspects of that it kind of breaks down those tropes and none of the characters you absolutely adore they're all very flawed which i you know is interesting um yeah, you know, it expands on their relationship, goes some places where it ultimately ends, um, you know, oops, fine, you know. So is it, it's done now? It's done. 
And you, if you see the show and you get to the end, you'll be like, okay, yeah, that's that's how they chose to end it. You know, yeah, it makes sense, but still, I feel like they could have found a more fitting way to to end it, just based on the tone of the show. Was it satisfying or not really? Um, it felt like uh, not a cop out, but I don't, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, I don't want to say it because if I if I say what type of ending it was, it, that's kind of a spoiler. Yeah, so. Um, I will say I wish it would have ended a little differently. It ended predictably. How about that? Um, is, but it's a great show. Is all three seasons focused mostly on their relationship? Mm-hmm. There's lots of great side characters. The best character in the whole show, her name is Birdie. She's uh, Jillian Jacobs' um, like Australian roommate. She's hilarious. She's by far the best character <laughs> on the show. She's the only one that you like legitimately really love. The two main characters, you like care for them, but they're both kind of pieces of shit, you know? So yeah. it's like kind of hard to always relate with them. Birdie is just amazing. <laughs> and it's one of those shows that like they're I deal well with like awkward humor. It usually doesn't get under my skin, except for certain episodes of The Office. In certain episodes of this show, there's just like every season, there's one particular episode that just like I have to watch it like between my fingers because the secondhand embarrassment is just like too much for well, me like to handle. Some of the moments or things that Michael Scott's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, this Michael, those some of those situations that Michael Scott finds himself in, I just I can't look at it. It like it physically pains me to experience some of that. You know what I mean? This show specifically the second season, I know I'm talking about the third season, but there's one episode in the second season. That's just like excruciating. It's great television, but I, I don't think I can ever watch it again. And I watch half of it. Like, like I said, looking between my fingers, like a fucking horror movie. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great show though. It's only 30 episodes. The episodes are 30 minutes long. Yeah. We can finish it pretty quick. But that's basically it. Uh, real quick, Dragon Ball Z Power Hour. Uh, Frieza has taken on his final form. And Goku's fighting Frieza on Namek. Hasn't gone Super Saiyan yet, but we're getting there. It's only been fucking 85 episodes or whatever. You've but... watched that many so far? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Most, a lot of them were just like on in the background. Yeah. Because there's a lot of filler in that show. But It's a perfect show to put on when you're uh, like unpacking your yes, room. <laughs> that is what I did the first weekend I moved in here. Um, so we're, we're almost there. We're almost, Goku's almost Super Saiyan. He's he he just started. I is mean, it, I, is it really that dragged out where like he just yeah, dude. <laughs> he's been fighting Frieza for like ten episodes, and it took forever to even get to Frieza. Like, it's a great show. It's the best show I've ever seen in my life. G- give me the layout of a typical Dragon Ball Z episode. <laughs> uh, the first five minutes of this twenty-minute episode. Or, like, getting you back up to speed Recaps. from the last episode. Well, no, you have an actual recap. Oh, At okay. the beginning of the episode, you have your recap. Then you get into the episode, and then it picks off where the last episode ended, but it replays, like, two minutes. Oh, so okay. you're, like, seeing the same scene again, setting the stage. Uh, people power up. It'll cut to, like, some of the side characters doing their stupid, like, kind of goofy like weird side quest stuff and then it'll cut back to the main fight there will be a a brief skirmish someone will get hurt and they'll be like oh such power i've never seen before 
lucky for me, I'm more powerful than you can imagine. And then they, you know, just like, that was a good one, but I'm also been hiding my power, you know, just like going back and forth. It's a stupid this show. Sounds awesome. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> That's all I got. I've been busy. Haven't uh, had a chance to watch much. So. Oh, I did see Tomb Raider in the theater. If you've been doing anything other than seeing movies, uh, like seven new releases, no. <laughs> like Jesus. Yeah, how was Tomb Raider? That's what I do. Uh, it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that. Why did you yeah. bother? I don't know. <laughs> Movie pass, dog. Exactly. That's. Um, yeah, it feels just like watching a video game. And the like big action sequences don't look very good. Like there's one in particular where she's in the water, like in the ocean, and it's so dark you can like barely even tell what's going she's on. She's the lady in the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did like there's two chase sequences though that were pretty good towards like the beginning and like middle of the movie. How does it compare to the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movies? I've never seen that one or those ones. Really? Uh uh-uh. uh. They're not don't very good. Revisit them. I know I, this movie's fine, but it's just. Was it better than you thought, or was it like kind of on par with your expectations? It's probably about what I expected. I gave it a two and a half, so it's like okay. It's right around the like you could watch it. I mean, you get fucking Thor Ragnarok a one or whatever. Well, so. Yeah, well, that movie was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> that movie offended me. Tomb Raider did not <laughs> triggered. <laughs> um. But yeah, it just feels like a like Indiana Jones type, you know, Uncharted, Tomb Raider, any yeah, of that kind of. And the, like the the whole story was kind of lame because it was like focusing on this like like kind of like fantastical element, and I didn't even really know that that was, is that a part of Tomb Raider. Or? Not really. Oh, I mean, okay. there's like dinosaurs and shit. Well, there's like yeah. some like being that has like special powers and she has to like save it or the world is gonna no be. she's just like a treasure hunter oh, you know? okay. there's like artifacts like ancient artifacts that have like mystical power but no like superhuman bad guys from what i remember that was always like a playstation series yeah and i was always a nintendo kid so i never i only played some of the old tomb raider games like your friends houses and i haven't played either of the reboots so i'm not by any I'm not by any means like a Tomb Raider expert. Yeah, yeah, it was okay, but definitely wasn't that great. <laughs> uh, last thing I'll talk about is I watched RoboCop yesterday. Have you ever seen RoboCop? I have, okay. but it's been a while, and that movie rules. <laughs> <laughs> the violence in it is like so over the top, Yep, but it's amazing. <laughs> it's Paul Verhoeven, right? Yeah. Can you direct that? Yeah. And it's just very well paced. Like it's like an hour and forty minutes, but it just flies. It, I just feel like it's like a perfect action movie. <laughs> Have you seen the deleted scene where he like shoots everyone in the dick? No. What? Dude, there's a scene that was cut from the movie where he shoots off like ten dudes' dicks. What? And no joke. Like it's for real. YouTube it when you get home. Robocop shoots dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he does shoot someone's dick in the movie. Just one? Just one, yeah. Okay. It's a pretty awesome moment, too, because it's like... They're out. They're in like a parking lot or something. Yeah, right? they're in like an alleyway, and these two guys are like trying to steal this lady's purse, and then they like start groping her and stuff, and then he like puts her in a headlock to like kind of hold her hostage, you know, and like as like a shield from RoboCop, and then 
RoboCop shoots through her dress and shoots the guy in the Okay, dick. it's the same scene, but in the extended version of it, he shoots off like 10 dicks. <laughs> it's a, it's fucking crazy. You got to watch it when you get home. It's okay. it's one of the best things I've ever seen. The like the climax action sequence is awesome though. I don't know if you remember it, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, I don't remember. It's really good. And it just like it also has the whole thing of like commenting on how Americans are with violence, like how we obsess over like violence and there's like the whole like corporate greed where like this corporation is basically just trying to like monetize the whole like police force or whatever and Mm. and like when people die it's just like it doesn't even matter because like all we care about is (laughs) making this product better to get more (laughs) money from it um but yeah it's it's an awesome movie um i think that's it okay i was uh supposed to watch sophie's choice but i did not get to it i've been really busy i will watch it before the next episode and then we'll resume the Rotten Tomatoes game next time. So I'll report back with Sophie's Choice thoughts. What's um, on the docket? Got it pulled up here. According to Rotten Tomatoes, Isle of Dogs doesn't even come out till next weekend. So I think the wide release hasn't happened yet. Oh, okay. So we're ahead of the game. Uh, what do we got here? Rampage comes out next weekend. Um, it looks terrible, but I kind of want to see Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. No? no, no, I gave Happy Death Day a chance, and that looked better than <laughs> Truth or Dare. <laughs> it does look really fucking bad. Um, I, I know. don't know. Maybe if the reviews are good, I'll give it a shot. Oh, they but. won't be. <laughs> um, you were never really here. That better I still, fucking. I haven't open. seen a Seattle opening. Yeah, no. it's but been the poster out. is at Regal Meridian. Is it? So it's got to be coming. Okay, so hopefully that one. That's the new um, Lynn Lynn Shelton. Is that her name? No, 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 not, not Lynn. Lynn Ramsey. Yeah. Lynn Shelton, her new movie is also out now. Inside Out or in, Outside In. Oh, yeah. Tom was talking about it. Um, it's got Jay Duplass and someone, some some older. Oh, right. Uh, but anyway, Lynn Shelton, she did um, Your Sister's Sister, Laggies. She's a Seattle filmmaker. Um, I might try and check that out. Is that out. playing here? It's playing at the um, Sif Uptown. Oh, okay. Um, Lean on Pete looks good. I don't know if that's coming out. What the fuck is that? That new Andrew Hay movie about the kid with the horse. I don't know who that is. A24, dog. <laughs> no? There's really... Oh, there's not much here. Super Troopers 2 comes out on 420. Perfect timing. Uh, Traffic, that kind of terrible looking like suspense movie about that couple who like... It looks fucking dumb. I don't want to see it. I don't even know why I said There's it. There's two, like, uh, or no, the writer also looks kind of good too, but it's like another indie movie. There's not much here. There's like on this list here, Avengers is not till the 27th. Disobedience is on the 27th. It says totally comes out on the 20th. This says May 4th when I'm looking at. Well, you know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll see what happens. We'll be back. We're always back. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> we, should, we should have Tom back next time. Um, Maybe we can do a featured review of A Quiet Place then if there's not much to talk if about. If we got to scrape the bottom of yeah. the barrel, maybe. <laughs> um, we, we will all see that. So, And I don't think any of us want to see Rampage, but worst case scenario. Uh, I'll, I'll watch that. <laughs> I guess we could see Rampage if we have to. So, 
Anyway, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you would like, send us an email, cinephilesdigest at gmail.com. Like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter. You know the deal. Um, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back soon. Peace. Peace.